Welcome to Humanly, the podcast searching for the truth about health and wellness. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Humanly. Daniel Reuters here, and today I'm joined by Dr. Nadia Hamadi Saad. Welcome to the podcast, Nadia. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So it's been an interesting last couple of years. Um, I'm really interested to hear your journey and what's happened for you since sort of early 2020. I saw that you had written a dissertation on terrain theory and germ theory, and I was very interested in that. And that's something that I'd like to um, talk about and find out how you actually got to the point of writing a dissertation um, for your doctorate and PhD on that topic. Uh, but yeah, maybe we can start way back in 2020, at the start of the pandemic. Um, how did things originally uh, seem to you when all the uh, pandemic nonsense, shall we call it, uh, started? Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of so a lot shifted for me in 2020, uh, early 2020, and we had been hearing things, whether it was on the news or you know as medical providers, we were getting a lot of uh, you know different insight, you know, from different um, you know governing boards. Uh, that changes were coming, things like mandatory vaccinations for adults. I had heard of that in 2019, um, you know, and prior to the arrival of COVID-19 or what they want to call coronavirus, um, I had known that there were, you know, hundreds of vaccines uh, for the common cold in the pipeline, but I couldn't make sense of it because to give a vaccine for the common cold literally makes absolutely no sense. But um, so I knew in early 2020, I needed an exit strategy. So I had been working as a uh, physician associate in internal medicine for over 12 years. Um, and, uh, you know, guidelines were getting tighter. Uh, there was a lot of different um, regulations uh, required upon us in terms of documentation. And a lot of the patient, um, you know, and practitioner relationship had been shifted more into, uh, you know, paperwork. There was no more of that, you know, you know, sentimental, you know, let me, let me hear you out. Let me give you, you know, 30 minutes of my time, 30 minutes of your time was literally just documentation. Um, and at first, you know, felt a little bit rude where you don't even have eye to eye contact with the patient. And so again, there was a lot of things that, you know, led me to realize I needed an exit strategy and especially with the advent of COVID. Mm. So yeah, that's how it began. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, so fast forwarding through sort of 2020 and um, probably early 2021, um, you'd obviously done study and things in medicine and anatomy and physiology and all this sort of stuff. Had you ever heard about the concept of terrain theory prior to that, or is it something that was completely brand new to you? Completely brand new. And this hit me in July of 2021. I came across a video called Viral Misconceptions. Now, prior to that, I had listened to a couple of lectures by Dr. Zach Bush. He's oh, yeah. a medical doctor, you've heard of him. So I knew he would talk about terrain here and there, but none of it resonated. Mm. I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, he's talking about, you know, good soil and, you know, you know, eating clean and things like that. I'm like, I'm familiar with that because I've been, you know, I'd always been strict into organic and healthy eating and, you know, things like that. So I was aware, and even as a conventional, you know, medical practitioner, I was always reading outside of the box. So given my background um, prior to becoming um, you know, a practitioner, I had worked as a pharmacy technician for about seven years. So I was always reading in between the lines and outside the box and that kind of thing. I was always questioning you know, medication contraindications. So I knew 
this wasn't going to be um, the type of lifestyle I wanted to lead. I knew it was good to work in it. You know, the whole westernized medical system, it's, it's good money. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the moral um, implications catch up with you. And that's, right. kind of, that's kind of how I'd sum up why I needed an exit strategy come, you know, 2020. And that's when I started studying, you know, quantum medicine or integrative medicine. So those moral implications, what are you referring to specifically? What, what went against your morals in the medical system? So I, I knew I wasn't really helping patients heal. That's not the way conventional medicine works. You know, we're obviously working to kind of um, suppress your symptoms. You know, I understand that we can be there for the patient. I had, I had amazing relationships with, you know, with my patients, but with time and with the, you know, you know, extensiveness of the documentation that we had to put in my, you know, you know, uh, practitioner patient time lessened. And I kind of felt like I was, you know, not giving um, enough to the patient as I should, I was giving more to the medical record and it became impossible not to do that. And so, you know, morally speaking as well, again, you know, I'm giving them medications that do have side effects. I'm monitoring their liver and their kidney function every few months. And, you know, most of the time you're noticing this gradual decline and you know, what's causing it, you know, it's, it's, you know, these medications definitely affect the liver, the kidneys and all your organ systems as a whole. So me being in the field, like I said, I was always, you know, reading uh, things from, you know, the, um, the holistic side from natural medicine. Uh, you know, not, not, you know, so much herbal medicine per se, but just reading about energy healing and, you know, psychotherapy and meditations and yoga. And I knew there was more out there. I knew that there were possible avenues to healing, you know, so um, that's kind of where that stems from. So I would, you know, try to give my patients advice about, Hey, maybe, you know, do some daily walking regimens, you know, at least 30 minutes a day, you know, let's try to get your blood pressure down. And that's another story in and of itself, blood pressure, because it shouldn't be low to begin with. I don't agree with the 120 over 80 parameters. So there's a lot of um, moral, you know, issues that occurred. And I'm like, there's only so much I can say, you know, as a conventional practitioner, you get your license revoked, there might be other, you know, more serious um, consequences. Um, you know, so as much as you try to guide the patient the right way, I would always talk to my patients though about deep breathing, you know, stress release. And that's why exercise was part of that. But like I said, there's only so much you can convey, you know, without getting in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a shame that we live in these times where you have to really dot your I's and cross your T's, unfortunately, with risk of of ruining your reputation in your, in your career. So you were talking about Zach Bush. Um, was it a video that you watched of Zach Bush that gave you the big aha moment when you realized, no, hang on, there's it wasn't more terrain than the CI? No, his, his concepts at the time weren't sinking in because, again, when, when you're so entrenched. So when I mentioned documentation, if you talk to any doctor right now or mid-level provider about uh, electronic health records, it is so strenuous. Unless you're working for an, you know, a gigantic hospital corporation and you actually have people in, you know, people in the background doing your paperwork or doing your uh, hospital records, which makes no sense because it's going to reflect inaccuracies. You know, the doctors, the one seeing the patient or the mid-levels, the one seeing the patient, not, you know, the, the hirees in the background. But so unless you're working for a hospital system, um, it's, you know, at least, you know, three to four hours a day outside of your workload of just documentation. And then if you, if you miss something or if you don't, you know, hit a parameter 80% of the time, uh, you get fined, you get a few reduction schedule the next year. So it's, it's pretty strenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so back to the Zach Bush question, this is why me being um, so, you know, deeply involved, I actually owned a visiting physician company. And I think that'll bring a little bit more clarity to why I'm, 
I felt a little bit overwhelmed with the documentation process. Right. Um, but yeah, so we were seeing debilitated patients at home. And it was, you know, although my work schedule would probably end around noon, I'd be at work maybe 8 a.m., 7 a.m., I'd be home by noon. It was documentation for at least four hours, three to four hours every single day. And that's aside, you know, from or not including the phone calls, the pharmacy, you know, phone-ins for medications, uh, the paperwork, um, emergency calls. So God, I got a bit overwhelming. So I didn't um, get involved with terrain theory until that video I came across last July titled Viral Misconceptions. It kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm not going to lie because I had to actually rewatch it three times for it to sink in. I'm like, I, I'm not getting this. What is he saying? <laughs> what is this guy saying? You know, because, yeah, I mean, I had been a germaphobe most of my life. You know, we're taught to fear germs and, you know, fear the microbe and you don't see them. There's this invisible warrior or invisible enemy that's out to get you. And so, yeah, I definitely was a germaphobe. And so it felt like an amazing, you know, aha moment when I watched that video. From there, I started researching. I came across the force doctors, uh, Tom Cowan, Andrew Kaufman, Stefan Lenka, um, and I became extremely familiar with their work. I read Dr. Tom Cowan's books. Um, Contagion, the Contagion myth was a really big one for me. That was a, a, a big basis for my dissertation research. Mm. You know, and I just, uh, all I kept thinking was, I wish I had known of Stefan Lenka before. I wish I'd heard of these doctors before. And if you remember the, the video that I think it was Joshua Coleman that he shot of Dr. Tom Cowan, I, I think this was maybe March of 2020. I think he, it was out in California. I don't remember, but it was, um, it was maybe a 10 minute video that went viral overnight where Dr. Tom Cowan was questioning the germ theory. And I, and I loved it. And even at the time it didn't hit. I mean, that's how, that's how brainwashed we are. This is how conditioned we are. Even watching him, I'm like, this makes sense, but I didn't really get it. Right. I'm like, it makes sense, but there's something missing. Like I couldn't, I couldn't put the puzzle pieces together, mm. you know, until I started this research, you know, on, uh, you know, uh, germ theory versus terrain theory, on, you know, do viruses even exist? You know, and my background is because of my quantum background, I can say that they possibly exist as potentialities, you know, potentialities that are out there. Maybe it's something that's non, uh, you know, um, non-objectifiable. Maybe it's something that you can't make or, or turn into material form. You know, kind of like the concept with DNA and RNA, you know, which RNA constantly changes into DNA and back again. And according to Dr. Lenka, you know, it's this highly, you know, reactive, you know, RNA that's constantly converting. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we believe that obviously this results in the self-organization of life, but at the same time, it doesn't have any scientifically penetrable reason or cause. You know, mm -hmm. so to me, this is something more from these subtle realms, the morphogenetic realms. And if I'm getting confusing, stop me. I can explain a little bit more, but I feel like there's more uh, than to this physical dimension. And according to quantum physics and quantum mechanics, 99.9% .9 of, of reality is energy. It's, it's wave. It's not particle. So less than 1%, 0.0001%, I believe is the figure, is actually physical matter. And it's what we perceive. You know, mm -hmm. so I always say, you know, we will um, into existence what we consciously perceive. Right. right. I know it sounds a little bit weird, but I mean, no, it's, I, it, it I'm is. I'm on the same wavelength as well. Yes. Okay, cool. So you're understanding. And that's, you know, and again, unfortunately, the majority of us are just deeply ingrained in this whole physical matter philosophy, where if it's not physical, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. You know, if it's not physical, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, and I think Nassim Haramein, if you've heard of him, I think he's a quantum university graduate. I believe he's done a lot of seminars there, but he says nothing ever exists, but nothing is all that exists. And that, that's a deep statement. Mm 
mm-hmm. you know, so things can emerge from nothingness if you will them, you know, if you perceptibly will them into consciousness. So it's an interesting field, but that's kind of where my research led me on viruses. Yeah, because you have written a dissertation. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, what what university would allow a doctor to publish a document like this? Um, so how did you come to the point where you were like, I want to do a PhD in this topic? And how did you even get in contact with the quantum university and make these connections and then find a supervisor who was willing to allow you to, to talk about these things? I'm, I'm really interested. So, so interestingly, a little bit of a backstory, I had been looking since 2009, late 2009, the year I graduated, um, you know, as a PA, I had been looking for alternative, um, you know, routes, you know, alternative medicine routes, right? But everything is so highly censored, you can never come across quantum university just like that by like typing integrative medicine or, you know, searching, you know, natural medicine. So um, it had been in the back of my mind for well over a decade. Uh, I had come across a friend who's actually a hypnotherapist, and I hear you're, you have a little bit of background in hypnotherapy, right? Um, I came across this friend of mine and who mentioned that she was studying integrative medicine, and I said, how? I have been like searching high and low, and she said quantum university. So that was a huge help. Um, so from that, I, once I started studying, you know, the coursework, you know, it takes a couple of years. Um, I was always nervous about what my dissertation topic would be as much as I loved quantum studies and everything that we were learning. Um, I actually did become certified in auricular therapy because I found that fascinating. It's basically acupuncture of the ear. Yeah. Um, that course just blew my mind. I'm like, Oh my God, I can do acupuncture just on the ear and I can literally, you know, heal various things from obesity to hypertension to, you know, and so forth. Um, so that aha moment that I'll go back to is what had me determine what topic I was going to do. And I knew right when that aha moment hit me, I said, Oh my God, it's going to be so controversial. Um, and so right away I emailed the board. I said, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I want to do. This is, you know, possibly what they, you know, experimentation couldn't tell. Um, and so they assigned me a dissertation mentor, you know, it took about a couple of weeks and then they approved and I was relieved, you know, but it takes me back. And I think I mentioned this in a uh, part of my dissertation and the introduction, um, the founder of the university, Dr. Paul Druin, is actually a medical doctor. So, you know, having worked in the field for so long, he, I, I believe his story was his brother died at a young age and he wanted answers. Uh, so he went into medical school, but he says, I still didn't get any answers. He goes, nobody was addressing anything deep, any of the root causes. He says, so, you know, I wanted to investigate further. And this is when he started to, you know, study different things, you know, from, you know, maybe ch- traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda acupuncture, all that kind of stuff. So um, of course he had big dreams. He founded quantum university and in our quantum, um, I believe it was hematology lecture. It's weird how certain statements stick with you. And the statement really didn't mean much at the time because quantum hematology was, um, it was interesting. It was interesting, you know, looking at a lot of slides and things like that, you know, of, of different blood samples, live blood samples. But in that, in that lecture, he says, you know, I encourage, you know, students, uh, you know, to research, to perhaps research this topic, you know, terrain versus germ theory. And of course, he didn't say much in the lecture. So I was still a germaphobe. You know, at the time, I was still a germaphobe. I wasn't, you know, it's not like that, that class helped me, you know, come out of that. But um, so that's kind of how it happened, you know, and luckily, I had an awesome dissertation mentor, who I believe had done her dissertation on, um, I think, autism and gut health issues. Oh, yeah. So, um, so they're very open-minded, 
you know, again, you, you still have your limitations as to what you can say, you know, publicly or openly, everything is censored. But yeah, that's kind of, that was a long backstory, but that's kind of how it happened. That's awesome. And um, so for the listeners, can you give a sort of overview as to what the crux of your dissertation is? Because it's like close to 200 pages long and there's a lot of really good stuff in there. So yeah, can you provide sort of like a brief overarching uh, overview of right. the dissertation? Right. So, so although I agree that viruses have not been proven to exist, at least they've never been biochemically analyzed the right way, everything that's being done in the conventional conventional field is basically based on scientifically debased cultures. And we can get into detail of that. Things that I'm sure you've listened to Dr. Tom Cowan talk about and Andy Kaufman. Um, but basically my title is viruses may be um, endogenously produced adaptive messenger particles that facilitate healing. So they may be so that again, that whole like, possibility of existence thing, the potentialities that I discussed earlier, I feel like it might be part of that. Because when you look back to the 1800s, a couple hundred years ago, to the work of Antoine uh, Beauchamp um, and others around his time, uh, and this was at the time of Louis Pasteur, and you know, of course, they were rivals, and I have, I have all their books, of course, all that went into the dissertation. Um, but when you look at the work of Beauchamp and you realize his discovery of the microzyma, which some label like as an immortal enzyme, I prefer to look at it as, again, a, a potentially immortal wave that, you know, particleized or that could particleize if the necessitating stimuli, that was his phrase, necessitating stimuli, um, you know, uh, require that. And the necessitating stimuli would be our environment, the pH, our overall health, the level of toxicities, our metabolism, our hormones proteins, that kind of thing. So, you know, looking back to the microzyma and even around that time, I think a little bit after came uh, Gaston Nasons and uh, Gunther Enderlein, um, and who basically said the same thing, but they referred to their particles as somatids and protids. And these things had life cycles or, or what I like to call pleomorphic cycles. So to me, whether it's a viroid like structure, some call them endobionts, again, there's all these names. So to me, it's more of, um, it's more of this uh, division in a sense that we could unify. Like there's so much different labels and, and, and names, but if we try to unify, and that's where my, um, you know, what my dissertation was, was proposing is if all of these were just unified forces from nature, something starts out as, you know, so minuscule, something you can't see with the naked eye, but it starts to pleomorph according to your body, according to your health status, you know, um, and everything that's even what's going on with you mentally starts to play more just to clean up the toxicities, right? The toxic thoughts, the toxic foods, because thoughts have way more power over the physical foods and, and the physical, you know, elements of our body. Um, the whole mind over matter concept, which I know can also be controversial, but there's, you know, a lot of um, information out there, you know, that reflects, like I said, the 99.99% of energy, that's not physical, it's energy, it's wave. So, um, you know, and that's, and that's basically what I proposed that, that these particles perhaps are all the same thing. Perhaps this is what a virus is, but you know, again, cause when you look at Dr. Stefan Lenka's work and his dissertation back in the eighties um, showed um, he had discovered a giant virus from uh, seawater algae. And so he had said that, you know, again, the bacteria kind of forms these spores, turns into bacteriophage. These resemble, you know, giant viruses or he used that term giant virus. Um, you know, again, and are these just different stages of this pleomorphic, you know, um, mechanism? Mm -hmm. You know, I might have different size, you know, microbes, bacteria than you, depending on, you know, again, my health status, depending on my overall health. 
So that's kind of the gist of everything. And of course, I, I brought in a lot of research. I talk about exosomes. It was kind of interesting because after I had proposed, uh, I said, what if um, viruses are exosomes? And then I hear Dr. Andy Kaufman talking about that later. I said, yes. I said, you know what? That, that's just, that's very confirmatory to me. So that all, that's also in my paper. And it's interesting to see when you look at research done by these, um, you know, NIH scientists, uh, so many of them are questioning, you know, the validity of, um, you know, these exosomes or viral structures, they tell you, you know, they're, you know, they're indistinguishable, or, you know, they have the same uh, protein composition, or they have the same size or the same shape. And, you know, and they admit that the biochemical analyses have not been done to, to distinguish between these particles. So if you actually read, like I said earlier, between the lines, you know, read and investigate deeply, you'll see that the majority are on the same page, it's just not brought into public light. Mm -hmm. You know, so well, I can't say the majority. I should say, you know, open-minded or, um, you know, um, you know, deep-thinking, you know, doctors or scientists, um, you know, think the same way or you know are on the same page. But mainstream will never, you know, advocate for that. There was something in your dissertation that I read, and it sparked something in me. And and you were talking about how the I think it was the endobionts, the like a sort of rod shape and when they potentially get exposed to poison they can form a y shape and they resemble something like an antibody and i was like oh all right maybe this is what i, I had i had an aha moment there too because reading this and this was uh, basically um from the work of dr robert o young are you familiar with him i believe he's a do he's done a, a lot of really good work on the terrain theory um, you know, I think he shows that, you know, bacteria, you know, can transform into red blood cells and back out again. I mean, he, he's done remarkable work. But when I came across his work and I was reading that and I said, hold on, because I had already done my part on, you know, the, the antibodies and titers and, you know, how there's the reproducibility cri crisis, the batch to batch variability, the inaccuracies. So, you know, looking back and coming across Robert Young, uh, Robert Young's work later on in my research, I had that I had that same you know spark because I said, wait, you know, it goes from this endobiont or viroid virus-like structure, it forms this you know Y-shaped structure, then it forms a rod, then cocci, then fungi. So again, it's it's pleomorphing, and again, it's pleomorphing in response to the necessities of our environment. Then you know what it requires to restore us back to homeostasis. Mm. Uh, so I thought that was you know really interesting, and you know it's. And there's just so much discrepancy. This is why I say, you know, for those uh, doctors and scientists that are actually thinking hard, you know, you look at the antibody uh, testing kits and Dr. Lenka said this perfectly, you know, said, I, I think he said, how can you have, um, you know, the anti without the body? Because if you do an antibody test with viruses, but we have, we have, you know, no valid biochemical analysis of viruses. So what's this antibody test to begin with? Mm -hmm. And he also said that the proteins in the antibody kit can, can not match the microbes that they're screening for. Because obviously when you put the, the, the proteins in this antibody kits, the, uh, kits, they denature. So there's no way you're gonna get a, a correct uh, match. And obviously this is what results in the reproduci reproducibility crisis, which is uh, pretty well documented in, in the conventional research. Like I say, I got most of my information off the NIH. Um, so that's, that's another issue. Mm. So what, cause this is a question that comes up often. Um, so what do you think an antibody actually is? Do you think it's performing the way that it's described in textbooks or do you think it has some other function or do you, do you think antibodies even exist at all? <laughs> yeah. 
So again, I think I think the label of it is completely misconstrued. The label antibody is completely misconstrued. So what I believe, I mean, there's some evidence out there that says, hey, they could be guiding bodies working in tandem with viruses. I tend to believe that they, um, again, they could be guiding bodies working in tandem, or they could be part of the earlier pleomorphic stages. You know, it's this, you know, again, this virus-like structure that's just morphing. And again, it's morphing, you know, just to, you know, and, and again, it's going to get bigger. It's, there's going to be more microbes, obviously, depending on how much more toxins you have. And that's what, that's what I, you know, rather than, so you can look at it as a guiding, you know, body as well. But like I said, the name antibody, I mean, your body doesn't do, and especially coming from, I was, I was raised on, you know, Hey, this is what autoimmune disease is. And, you know, again, my conventional background is pretty lengthy. Uh, so to be able to reverse that, you know, especially even like with thyroid related issues, and we were always taught, yeah, you know, your, your body's attacking itself. And, you know, yeah. to me, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe it's a history of vaccination. Maybe it's, you know, and I was trying to make sense of it. But now that I realize that your body, and again, it's, it's that state of mind, your body is never working against you. Yep. You know, even cancer, and I've recently gotten into dramatic new medicine, which I, oh, yeah. I love. Um, and even with, with cancer, I mean, it's, it's your body's, it's like your last survival mechanism. You know, your body's trying to repair something. It's not a scary diagnosis, but guess what? They've already implemented the fear. They've already shaped your mind as to how you're going to perceive it. And that's what's going to affect you more than anything. I mean, I've had patients in the conventional realm, and I know the stronger ones from the weaker ones. I've had the patients where they went through cancer and, and therapy over six times but they had the will to live and they did just fine. I've had patients who received the diagnosis and died within weeks. I had one patient who died within a week and it was just sad watching, I'll never forget him. I walk into, this is when I was doing hospital rounds. I walk in and I'm, you know, he's the happiest person I've ever met, you know, and I pronounced his last name wrong. He corrected it. He was just smiling and telling jokes the whole time. I walk in a week later I and mean, I was going daily, but I think on day six, it even had day seven. I walk in and Hey, Mr. So-and-so. And I'm, you know, he was dead. He was dead. It was that quick. And it was just, it was unfortunate. And so, you know, he had died, I believe from, they had said, um, you know, hepatitis C, cirrhosis, perhaps, you know, liver cancer, that kind of thing he had become, well, it was yeah, cancer. So they told him liver cancer. And like I said, it was that quick. So if you're that scared, uh, it's, you know, you're done for. And this is why when I work with my clients uh, now, I basically reverse that mentality. I educate them first. Um, and again, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Uh, that's something I firmly believe in. I believe famous people have said it and I took it from them, obviously. Was it Theodore Roosevelt or something like that? Yeah, someone <laughs> but, like um, that. But yeah, so, um, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my background, or at least right now, this is what I do uh, with, um, with this integral medicine realm. You know, I do work with cancer patients. I do work with uh, my specialty really right now is liver detoxification. I do work with kidney detox as well. Uh, you know, um, skin regeneration protocols, really, it's just a full body detoxification. I do psychotherapy and energy healing. So and I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, a, a conjoined effort, you know, it's this interconnected, you know, um, you know, type of work. Yeah, there's a couple of good points that you bring up there. Um, I do think the mind has a profound effect over how our body responds to inputs. Uh, and a good um, example of that is Joe Dispenza's "You Are the Placebo." I'm not sure if you've read that, and he gives he taught us our neural. Yes. Sorry. Yes. What? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I cut you off. Oh no, it's fine. Um, yeah, he sort of gives examples of people who had cancer, and then they <laughs> used their mind to cure themselves, um, and then 
I think he gives an example of a guy who was, he had throat cancer or something and it was just before Christmas and all he wanted to do was survive for Christmas to spend one last Christmas with his family. And then a month out from Christmas, the cancer miraculously went away and he was healed, um, had Christmas. And then by sort of February, the next year, the cancer had come back and he was dead within months. So he got his wish, but it was up here that I, I think, um, absolutely outcome and and to be and and my he didn't keep pushing i think and sometimes you kind of you let that diagnosis overwhelm you he didn't keep pushing because again you you know i tell my clients you know i i you know i've dealt with elderly patients the majority of my life and i i'm i'm in love with the elderly population i just i feel like they have so much wisdom to offer Mm -hmm. but i have elderly you know patients right now and i tell them you can live as long as you want to live you know, you put in the work, you know, you put in the effort, we work on these detoxification protocols. You know, it's harder with age to kind of reform their mentation, their mentalities, their mindset, but it's still doable, you know, and, um, and I, it's, uh, I've had success in doing that. Uh, the interesting thing too about Dr. Joe Dispenza, he did teach us our neuroimmunology class, which was my favorite out of all the oh, coursework wow. there, it definitely was my favorite. I would repeat his three hour lectures like three times just because I was so fascinated with the information. <laughs> And then I'd sit with like six to eight hours with my dad afterwards and talk to him about it. Then my dad would take his notes. So yeah, I was, that was definitely my favorite class. I mean, it's interesting too, because he says, and he, you know, does uh, quote studies on this, but he says that, you know, we're thinking approximately, I believe it's a 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And with each single thought that you think 40,000 different neurochemicals are emitted, you know, are, are secreted in our body. So just imagine the immense power of that. You know, and if you're going to say that the mind, you know, and I've had a lot of, um, you know, um, you know, opponents who don't think that the mind, you know, alters anything, as long as you're eating organic, you're going to be okay. But see, then you look at, um, you know, the concept in Germanic new medicine, which like I said, I'm recently studying it. So two days ago, the uh, instructor was saying how, you know, just as healthy foods can't prevent disease. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of personal history in that realm, but, um, so they say with healthy foods, as much as you're like, you could be on a strict organic diet, you could be strict vegan or not, whatever it is, you know, eating organically grazed meats and whatever, but you could still develop cancer. You could still get sick. And this all goes back to the mental frame of reference, the psyche, right? It can go back to unresolved traumas, unresolved mm-hmm. biological conflicts is what they refer to it as in GNM. Um, and in the same way, she says, uh, or they say that even, you know, unhealthy foods can't cause disease. So that's not to say go and you know splurge on fast food because at the end of the day, uh, you know foods have energy signatures, specific energy signatures assigned to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this kind of uh, this reminds me too about your background with you know you you do um, you know like a nutrition correct nutrition vitamin like you've had a lot of background on nutrition and supplements because that's something I've been questioning for a while. You know, in terms of the the actual um, validity you know, of these supplements and vitamins, even the ones that come from whole foods, you know, of course they've had the life force extracted. So although it could be beneficial, especially in this day and time where we're seeing severe nutritional deficiencies, it could be beneficial, but of course it can't, you know, replicate the same thing, you know, as there is our nature. Yeah. I'm not convinced that vitamins exist the way that we're told. I think there's, it's probably um, some energetic component, um, within the food. Uh, yeah. I, I still don't really fully understand it, but um, you were, you were mentioning about the whole cancer thing. And I was watching this video, uh, this movie the other night and this lady in the movie um, had cancer and then recovered, but the cancer came back and within a week she was in getting chemotherapy. And I was watching this. I'm just like, 
she probably got there because she poisoned herself. And then the treatment that she's getting is more poison. And it just seems so counterintuitive to me that people just believe this and they don't think twice. And if they were to get cancer, the first thing they do is to go and inject more poison into their arm um, or into their body. And I've been thinking a little bit about cancer and I don't know, maybe you can share your thoughts as well. And um, maybe we can get back into talking about your dissertation, but I am sort of throwing up the, um, or thinking about the fact as to whether or not cancer might actually be a fungus. And if it is a fungus, and there are doctors that talk about this, fungus has the capacity to um, bioremediate and biotransform toxins. So I wonder if it's our body creating this bag of fungus to help us metabolize poisons. It's like creating an extra liver or creating an extra kidney. And we look at the cancer and go, that's the problem. And we attack it, but it's actually trying to help us. What do you, what actually, do you think is-, is going on with cancer? Absolutely. I, I do agree with that. And it is actually the solution uh, pertaining to the fungus, cancer being a fungus. The interesting thing about that, and I'm going to reflect a little bit of uh, yeah, a little bit about my, or a little bit from my GNM background is they say, or Dr. Um, Hammer says that, you know, depending on, you know, the embryonic germ layers, right, of the brain, you have the ectoderm, which is the outermost layer, then you have the mesoderm, which is the middle layer, and the endoderm, which is specific to the brainstem. And I believe the old part of the cerebellum, which is the old brain. He believes that um, in cases of cancer, you know, or other diseases, if the brainstem is affected, this is where the fungi come in and they do their work. This is where the fungi come in and either, you know, they technically tend to repair tissue, uh, repair ulcerations or necrosis. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's two different stages as well with the brainstem, um, you know, and the com- there's the conflict active phase under the resolution phase, but in the resolution phase, there's also two parts. So if your brainstem was affected, let's say from some type of biological shock, and these biological shocks can start from birth, technically, you know, it could be some type of, you know, loud noise, whatever it is. Um, but if the brainstem, once again, is affected, uh, the, the brainstem uh, starts to cell multiply in the first stages of the healing phase. So it starts to produce multiple cells. If you go through a brain scan, you might be diagnosed with a brain tumor in that situation. But what's happening here is actually part of the resolution process. And this is where fungi are doing the work. So if the, if the part of the brain that's affected is the mesoderm, um, and I believe the new cerebellum, then all non-TB bacteria, and I forgot to mention TB, TB works along, uh, the mycobacterium works along with the fungi to repair tissue or to work in this resolution phase, whether it's tissue multiplication or, or tissue lysis. So, you know, again, and, and this is why I think that's a, that's a plausible, you know, theory to say that, you know, is cancer a fungus, but then if we're going to look at the different areas of the body affected by, you know, different parts of the brain, because each brain, brain relay, relay is specific to a different organ, you know, or organelle. So it's definitely a, a interesting thought. Mm. Um, and I, and I definitely agree with the whole, I've seen your work on mold. Um, and, you know, them being bioremediators, it's definitely something I've questioned for a long time. So, you know, I definitely applaud your work on that. It's something I truly came to appreciate because, you know, we, uh, you know, a few years, a few years back, you know, you have doctors hounding you. And this is, of course, comprehensive naturopathic doctors who are hounding you to check, you know, if you have mold toxicity. And, and it's just, it's another, it's, it's something, you know, additional to be overwhelmed about, right? But so, yeah, no, I definitely agree with your work on that. You know, we're looking at the mold. We're not looking at the thousands of other chemicals that could be, you know, contributing to the problem. Yeah. It's this war against nature and the human body. And 
you know, if we sort of link this back to the whole microzyma endobiont thing, they're able to uh, pleomorph into the precise microorganism that is required to resolve the problem. So those fungi aren't necessarily coming from the outside in. They're being developed from those microzyma. Um, it, like the body is an incredible entity that it's able to produce the precise thing that it needs to deal with the situation. And unfortunately, we've been tricked into thinking that the answer is actually the cause of the problem. It's really quite, um, quite preposterous. And is this sort of where you were uh, sort of uh, what you were alluding to in your uh, dissertation that viruses could be a mechanism for healing? Is this yes. sort of what you were and, alluding to? Absolutely. And especially when I, you know, um, came across the whole, you know, uh, research on exosomes and seeing that exosomes were, you know, they used to be labeled as the waste disposers, but now they're using them for like, um, you know, different like uh, drug resistant, you know, uh, modalities and, and even gene therapy modalities because exosomes are now being recognized as messenger particles. Right. And so, um, and this is where my, my reasoning kind of came from where I said, maybe the viruses just like, or again, different microbial um, you know, uh, particles, different microbial particles in different stages are actually communicating with each other, mm -hmm. just like the, you know, the fungal networks in the root systems of the, of the trees, uh, you know, where there's studies on that as well, where there's this communication sent out, if there's some type of chemical that's harming one tree, um, there's these, you know, electrical signals, and there's, you know, a lot of studies on this as well. This electrical signal, uh, signals that are communicated uh, between these fungal networks. And that was kind of my thinking with the viruses as well, is this is all, all of it. The microbial networks are, or the microbial components are all working in tandem with each other. Hmm. You know, it's not, you know, hey, you know, it's just a, you know, slight bacterial infection. It's not that, it's, it's all in tandem, you know, and it's not a bacterial infection of the bacterials at the site. It's there to repair the damaged tissue, you know, and it's, um, it's just interesting how, you know, you know, GNM ties in with this. And although Dr. Hammer didn't, you know, uh, incorporate energy healing, I think towards the end uh, of his, of his lifetime, he started to, you know, recognize the importance of energy healing. Um, it all ties in even with, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, you know, and things of that sort where, you know, you balance out the pathways and you have this chi, this energy flow and everything just, and I do believe that these microbial particles that could have possibly condensed from light energy, you know, are they're just working in tandem with each other just to form this resolution. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, the human body is, is, is magnificent. I've always said we are, we're remarkably resilient. We just don't give ourselves or our bodies enough credit. We really don't. And we're limited by the outside. We're limited by the fear. And what a lot of people don't know is as medical, you know, providers, we're, we're trained in a sense um, to kind of, you know, put a little bit of fear in the patient when you're talking to them about their diagnosis. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I don't mean that in a, in a harsh way, but they tell you, you know, be firm with them. You know, if they have diabetes. It could lead to, you know, amputation. It could lead to this. And mm. now that I look back, I don't agree with the approach. I do agree with, you know, lifestyle modifications. I do agree with having the person attempt to reverse and not just add on medications because that's uh, obviously the trend these days. It's, you know, patients have kind of, you know, patients are okay with that. I see. You know, the more medications that they have, they're like, oh, okay, this is correcting this. This is helping this. But from my experience, they only decline. And it's very obvious how rapidly their health declines. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting because um, you mentioned that you didn't really see any people getting better when you were using that conventional model. And um, it sounds like now that you've changed your perspective that you are seeing uh, people healing. 
with your dissertation, what's your feedback been like? And have any other of your colleagues read it or any other, um, say, just health professionals uh, read it? Because I read it and I thought it was great. So you've done a fantastic job. Yeah. Well done. Congratulations. Yeah, thank yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I've received some feedback. You know, I've received some positive feedback. And, you know, again, it's definitely they definitely describe it as thought provoking because it's different. You know, a lot of these people, you know, too, have not considered terrain theory. Hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are just like, no, you know, like I have a lot of, you know, the majority of my friends come from the conventional background, but that never stopped me. But yeah, a lot of them are just, no, no, I can't even read this. Well, that, that's okay. <laughs> also, you your, know, you your just, colleagues uh, haven't even read it. Some of them haven't. Yeah. Some of them, yeah. like I said, say it's interesting. And some of them just, um, yeah, they won't give it that at the time of day. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen in the future moving forward? Do you think that this is the beginning of, say, like the golden age or the the health revolution that we've all been waiting for? Or do you think that we're still quite a, a ways off to getting to where um, humanity can be free and we understand the true nature of, of health and disease? Yeah, I do believe, um, especially with uh, COVID-19, I do believe that it's definitely the great reset, but it's a great reset for those who are consciously aware. And I think this is, uh, this is a reset of consciousness um, and evolution of awareness, conscious awareness. Um, and so that's how I look at it. I definitely believe that there is a revolution taking place. Um, you know, again, it's, um, although I tend to consider myself more, you know, even working conventionally, I was always more, you know, naturopathic in a sense. I did things naturally. I always healed naturally, whether it was from the basic, you know, cough or flu or whatever it was. Um, I, you know, it's, uh, COVID-19 really kind of, again, it was like, to me, it was like a savior in a sense, you know, I don't mean to sound harsh. I know I realize the implications, but I do believe that the, the implications that, you know, you know, happened upon people were solely from fear, solely from fear. I mean, if you have flu symptoms, we've all gone through that. We've had cold symptoms. It's something that you can overcome, but I do feel like that was kind of um, my wake up call. You know, it really was my wake up call. Like this is where you need to shift and change and start exploring different options because unfortunately we tend to get too comfortable. You know, and this is why I know that there's been tons of, you know, like-minded medical professionals who left the field, um, you know, during the advent of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I definitely know I'm not the only one, but it, it is a little difficult considering that you leave your, you know, uh, financial luxuries and that kind of thing, but it's definitely worth it. So do you think this pandemic is entirely based and driven by fear or do you think that there was some sort of new toxin or electromagnetic frequency or something that was creating new disease in people or was it all just purely nothing there and it was just fear in, in people's minds that was driving this so i do have a section in my dissertation titled electrification electrific electrification sorry i said that wrong electrification of the earth um, and that was uh, solely based on the research that I retrieved from Arthur Furstenberg's book, mm. The Invisible Rainbow. So I do believe that, again, um, you know, the increased in, you know, technologies, uh, you know, the, the new 5G and all of that, I do believe that they have an effect because according to the research, um, you know, technically radiation, uh, this man-made non-ionizing radiation um, can weaken your cell walls. So when you weaken the cell wall, you're just, you know, you're, you're, increasing the likelihood of this toxin spillover, right? And we're already so toxically overloaded in general as a society. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where, yeah, so I do believe that there's other factors, um, but I also believe that, you know, again, you know, if you, if you have a strong mindset and you realize, listen, we're toxically bombarded, I might get sick, that's okay. You know, I can just enhance my detox, you know, 
uh, my detox process by doing certain, you know, natural remedies, you know, fruits, that kind of thing. Um, then I think, you know, you have the upper hand in this. But yeah, definitely, I do believe that there's other factor or factors of COVID-19 that could have made people more sick. Um, and that's one of them. Yeah, interesting. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you're doing now? Are you, are you working one-on-one with clients? Um, are you only seeing people face-to-face? Do you consult um, online and, and see people internationally? Um, do yeah. you want to talk a little bit to that? Yeah, most of my client base does come uh, internationally. Um, I do online consultations via Zoom. Um, and uh, yeah, and I do do local work as well. I just haven't opened up um, you know, a, a regular clinic yet. That's soon. Right. <laughs> That's okay. coming soon. And uh, do you have like a website or what's the best way for people to find out about the work that you're doing and how yes. could they potentially book in as a patient to see you? Yes. So um, I do have my business page attached to my Facebook. I also am part of a website. I'm working on updates uh, scheduled this weekend. I was waiting for this interview first. Uh, I've had a few other things going on. Um, but yeah, the, the website is uh, uh, wellnessremedies.com. Um, Remedy spelled with a Y-S at the end because there wasn't availability. <laughs> of IES, but, um, so they can book through there, you know, or through, you know, my Facebook business page. Yeah. And, and you're sort of focusing more so on that holistic side of things. And you mentioned detox is a, is a big aspect to what you do. Exactly. Um, exactly. So would you say that really disease is either from something in the mind, like from that German new medicine perspective, um, toxicity, and like possibly deficiency of nutrition or sun or love or, or whatever, what do you think the true causes of disease actually are? Yeah. So I, I do think it's a combination of a lot, but when I, when I focus on GNM, you know, they say that all diseases outside of poisoning or toxicity, uh, nutritional deficiencies and injuries, all of them come from a uh, biologic conflict shock. So something that's affecting your, your psychological state. You know, whether it's a breakup with a partner, whether it's a fight, you know, with somebody at work, uh, you know, maybe like a, like an uncomfortable situation at work, uh, whether it's a neighbor, um, you know, again, it could be car accidents, it could be divorces, it could be, you know, um, your parents divorce, that kind of thing. So if you're not able to, you know, resolve through this, um, then, you know, the organ that's affected technically doesn't heal. You kind of go through this chronic um, hanging healing phase. And the nice thing about German new medicine, though, so as like I said, even though I still tend to believe that it's, you know, an accumulation of things, again, um, not focusing on our energies, not raising our energy, not raising our vibration. Uh, mm-hmm. The lack of love is a good one that you had mentioned, too, because that's uh, the most powerful emotion there is. So I think everything contributes. But if you look at it from the standpoint of just correcting our psyche, correcting our you know, emotional state, um, this helps expedite the healing phase without doing anything extraneous. So you don't have to be on any supplements or medications. You don't have to go, you know, through ozone therapy and I don't know what, you know, what, what else, you know, is being offered all these expensive modalities. Hmm. So that's the nice thing about it. I do think it's uh, it's a combination of things, but I, once again, do believe in mind over matter. So I think, you know, the psych affects you the most regardless. Absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts, anything that you were really wanting to discuss or talk about that we haven't covered today? I think I talked quite a bit. (laughs) That was fantastic. Uh, Yeah. So much good stuff. Thank you. I hope it was helpful. I hope, you know, again, you know, to me, it's, it's really about healing and this is what we do in, in, you know, the integrative medicine route, you know, it's about healing from a top-down approach, you know, from the, from the super conscious level all the way down, it goes from super conscious to conscious to mental to subtle 
right? The, the, the subtle, which is the non-tangible to the physical. So the physical is that lowest realm, whereas we tend to, in Western medicine, to target the physical first, you're neglecting everything else. And this is why healing usually does not take place. So, you know, I just like people to know that there are, you know, um, easier, you know, more wholesome uh, healing mechanisms out there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Daniel. You're welcome. Um, I'll get your contact details and the link to your Facebook page. And maybe when your new website's ready, I'll share that link as well and put it in the show notes for people if they want to contact you. And um, would you also be uh, happy for me to share your dissertation with my listeners as well? They want to have a read? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. That's great. It's it's an interesting read. It's uh yeah I think it was like 170 pages or something. So yeah, it's long. Not, not something you can knock off in an afternoon. But it is right. um yeah a lot of great information in there. And at the end of the day, I think what I'm trying to do here is just to expose people to health professionals like yourself, so that they realise that there are many people out there who have a differing uh, opinion or a counter narrative opinion. And it's important for people to see that so that they don't feel alone. Because I think when we're in this position and we've realized that not everything is what it seems, it can be very, uh, it can be very lonely. And um, yeah, this is what I'm trying to do. Just trying to bring people together um, and let people know that there are health professionals out there with a different perspective. And if they do have health issues, there are people out there that can help them. Absolutely. And I think an important point too, for, you know, patients to know anybody suffering from any health ailment is that, you know, as I tell my, you know, clients from the very beginning, number one, the number one thing I do is empower them that they are their own healer. They can heal from within and they have the power to do so. They just need to believe it. And I think it's really important for people to realize that and not just, you know, hop around from doctor to doctor, try to find answers and, you know, not really finding any solutions. And so I think that's a really um, important thing for people to realize. Dr. Nadia Hamadi Saad, thank you so much for coming along and speaking with me. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to meet you, Daniel. You have a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. The ideas discussed on this podcast do not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com forward slash podcast and join the discussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time.